Welcome back to another Caring Support Podcast. We are super, super excited this week because this is Nurses Week. And we have three amazing, amazing, wonderful superstar nurses with us. And many, in fact, probably a lot of the audience is going to know these people already ahead of time. But let's get started. And and on my screen, I'm just going to go by the the orientation I see here. So I'm going to start with Dion. If you could please introduce yourself, that would be great. Thank you. All right. Good day, everyone. My name is Dion Sinclair. I am the Vice President of Clinical Operations and Chief Nursing Executive at the Center for Addictions and Mental Health. I am a registered nurse, but I always start off by saying, do not let my youthful good looks fool you. I graduated in 1986 from nursing. I also have a 34-year-old daughter who's also a registered nurse. I started out as an RPN when I graduated in 86. I did my diploma from Fanshawe College in 88, graduated with my Bachelor of Science from Western in 98. And in 2008, I finished my master's uh, in nursing from York University. I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Western Ontario, completing my thesis in nursing leadership, looking at the strategies and characteristics a black nurse leader needs to survive and thrive in a healthcare system that is systemically racist. That's me. Wow. I Well, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm impressed. Okay, on to the next awesome nurse. Sarah, you're up, please. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Fung. I'm also a registered nurse. I'm coming on 16 years now in nursing. I also went to uh, Western University for my undergrad, so that's where I got my Bachelor's of Science in Nursing, followed by my Master's of Nursing at the University of Toronto. Um, I spent about eight years at the bedside, so all in maternal child health. Um, I did labor and delivery, postpartum, level three NICU. Um, I then moved into nursing leadership, so I worked for a while as a clinical nurse specialist and in professional practice, both in hospital and community care settings. I'm also the uh, founder and CEO of the RN Resume, so helping nurses with their careers, as well as co-host and co-founder of the Gritty Nurse Podcast. So we're all about uh, mental health awareness, health equity, uh, sharing stories of those who are vulnerable or who have been silenced. And uh, I'm really glad to be here today and, you know, celebrating Nurses Week and all that it stands for. Thank you, Sarah. That was amazing. Wow. You guys are quite the, like, blow me away. All the things you do, all the things you're buying. Everybody's so busy anymore. It's really great. And, okay, so Mildred, you're up. And it's always great seeing you. You go ahead, please. Hello, everybody, and happy Nurses Week to all. My name is Mildred Ababio, Um, very similar to the lovely nurses that I have um, with me today. I bring close to 16 years of uh, nursing um, experience and expertise. I think I'm the odd one here. I'm a Quebecer native, so bonjour à tous. Um, (laughs) So um, I relocated to Ontario when I came here to do my post-RN nursing um, degree as the education system for nursing in Quebec is a little bit different than Ontario. But um, I furthered my studies, um, went on to do completing my post RN education. And then I went on to doing a couple of different little things in between that um, different leadership certificate. I'm very driven towards leadership. And then I chose a little bit of a different route and I went on and furthered my studies and um, obtained my um, MBA. 
In terms of clinical practice, I've worked everywhere from rural places um, in Quebec as well as in Ontario. And um, I've worked in different nursing department from neurosurgery to um, emergency psychiatric med surgery surge. Um, but I did a 360 after an encounter in one of the small villages that I was working with the Cree population where um, on my third day going to the emergency to do my shift, there was a little house that was on the road there. And on the third day to my shift, the light was on, I decided to go in. When I went in and I checked, I introduced myself. That's when I saw that there was an elderly man that had fallen that was unconscious and wasn't able to call for help. At that point, um, that's when I realized how vulnerable this population was. And I decided to do a whole 360 in my career and I decided to become an advocate for the seniors care. So that's what I've been doing um, so far. And another unique um, um, skill set with me is I bring a strong business acumen as well as strong clinical expertise, as I believe that in nursing, the two goes hand in hand. So that's my awesome. Opinion. This is great. You know, it, recently we did a podcast with uh, a lovely young lady that was just graduating from nursing school. And she knows many of you ladies, follows you on LinkedIn, and she's like a total sweetheart. She's very smart uh, and an amazing young lady. But you know what's great is when you get people on with this much experience and so many stories to be told. So this is very, very exciting. And I, I think, you know, I, I speak, uh, sorry to say, on behalf of Callie and say that two of us are very privileged to have you amazing ladies on this podcast with us. Thank you so much. So I'm going to turn over the questions that uh, to Callie at this point. So speaking of stories, how about we take a look back at the last year and we maybe you guys could tell us what the most exciting thing is that happened to you guys in your career over the last year and maybe Anything else that might be exciting that you would like to share? Maybe we'll start with Sarah this time. Yeah, I'm going to name a few things, but I promise it'll be really brief. Um, so the first is just getting back to seeing people in person has been really great, I think, just to get the energy and actually connect with people face to face. I had the uh, I had the privilege of doing some speaking engagements with the Canadian Medical Association, the Canadian Nurses Association. So really just uh sharing and trying to uplift nursing because we all know it's been really difficult over the past few years and really just connecting with nurses and understanding where their struggles are and how we can best support them. Um, and I think just even with helping nurses with their career paths, it's come to a point now where I can see on the other side, um, clients are coming back to me and saying, hey, I landed my dream job. I'm so much happier now. I feel like I have work-life balance again. So it's been really great just to see those rewarding, um, you know, the follow-ups that we hear from nurses that are really struggling and really not feeling like nursing is for them and seeing them become passionate again about the career. So that's been really um, exciting. Um, the other thing is that with the Gritty Nurse podcast, Amy and I are in the process of publishing a book actually about nursing with HarperCollins. So that's going to be coming out sometime in 2024. And that's been a really exciting process to think about all of the experiences that we can share with not just nurses, but the general public. Wow, amazing. Yeah, be sure to inform us of when this book's coming out. I'll I'll definitely pick it up. <laughs> okay. 
I'll sign a copy and send it to you guys. That would be great. Yeah. Cool. Uh, no, Jared, what about you? Well, thank you for asking. So um, two great things has happened for me. The first thing is I've had the privilege to um, work with uh, the Wound Ostomy um, Canada. And um, I had a great opportunity to be part of the panelists that was helping educate um, the population and healthcare um, workers um, when it came to how to better care um, in terms of wound care, how to better care for people of color, right? And my presentation was entitled Every Color Matter. And it was important to explain that and explain the intricacy and the nuances that comes to that because the way you would nurse and the way you would care for a Caucasian person would not be the same way that you'll care for somebody that comes from a European descent that have that all, um, olive undertone or somebody that's um, from South Asia that have a little bit of a darker undertone or somebody that's um, dark skin like me. Uh, the symptoms does not present the same, the wound does not present the same. So what are the challenges um, that could arise from that. So I had the privilege to talk about that, present about that. And actually next Saturday, I'm presenting again at their 42nd annual conference and helping propel that forward. We need to create awareness and there's lots of education that needs to be done around that. The second exciting thing that happened is um, having the opportunity um, to do more advocacy work for um, ACB communities. And right now, one personal work that I've taken on board, which is a passion on my, of mine, is connecting with the ACB communities and educating them and advancing um, knowledge mobilization when it comes to um, advanced care planning, because that's an area that's um, not really touched about. It's almost taboo in certain of these communities. So that's something that I want to create awareness on because it is a need that I find that is in, um, happening in, a, in these ACB communities. And that's something that I've been taking on board as a personal project and going out there and creating the awareness. So those are the two exciting things that um, happened for me um, upon reflection. That's amazing. Good for you, Mildred. You guys are, are something else. I just love how you're so passionate about the things you do and just get out there and do it. And there's so many people really at the end of the day, like, you know, people come up to me. I love to network as Sarah was talking about being back together with people again and everything. My main business partner and I, we love to network. We love just that energy of being in the same room with people. And so, you know, it's nice when you see you guys doing it. I know Dion, she's super busy and so much going on. And of course, now it's her time to to let us know what's happening in her uh, life in the last year. Okay, and I want to say happy Nurses Week to everyone, yeah. all the nurses out there. Um, a lot's been happening. Uh, the biggest thing for the past year and a half, I'll say, um, I competed and won this position here at CAMH as Vice President and Chief Nursing Executive. Out of all the mm -hmm. nurses of African descent in this province, and there's quite a lot of us, um, there's two that I know of that are in acute care hospitals that are actually chief nurses. One is at Scarborough General and myself. Um, so in 2019, I founded the Canadian Black Nurses Network, and we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook. It's just a place where nurses can come together, we yeah. support, coach, mentor, help each other. 
but we also do what Sarah's doing. I, myself and other directors, we help with um, resume writing. We help with interview prep. And our goal is to put black nurse leaders into senior leadership spaces. So I am very proud to say in the last year, we've had over six nurses either move from manager into director position. And we even have one other move from um, the position of director into a VP position. And it's wow. in VP looking after DEI, but it's still amazing that before you could not even get into the C-suite as they call it, mm -hmm. yeah, it's senior um, executive teams. The other big thing that has happened is being in this position has given me the platform to go out and talk to many schools and many um, students about what it is to be a leader of color, racialized leader, and that it is possible. So when you can't be what you don't see, so I show up authentic to say, here I am, it is possible, started as an RPN, now I'm sitting again at that leadership table. So for Western University of Western Ontario, I was their alumni of the year for the Labbat School of Nursing. Same thing with Fanshawe College. I uh, received alumni of the year for the health science category. Again, it gave me a platform to go and share my vision of nursing and how nurses should be treated. I spent many years at the front line, 11 years as a night nurse due to childcare. And I can share that you want to feel valued and appreciated and you want to make sure where you're working is a place you feel a sense of belonging you feel welcomed and you feel that you have an equal opportunity to progress through the organization sharing all that with the different uh, schools that i've gone to and all the different platforms i've spoken on at chemh in less than a year we hired over 400 rns and rpns which wow. is unheard of in this climate where people are saying no one's coming into nursing or no one wants to uh, be recruited because it's such an environment in acute care hospitals. I consider CAMH acute care because mental health, we've got an emergency room, we've got acute patients, it's acute care, but uh, nurses are drawn to CAMH because they see the type of nurse leader I am, they see the team that I've cultivated and they know how they'll be treated because I am present, I'm actually here in my office. I'm on the floors, I'm on the units, I speak to the staff, I ask them, how are you? And we put in many supports to help. And I just have to share one of the major support which is a big change that we've done. Usually you have educators, Monday to Friday, eight to four, nine to five. We have evening educators and weekend educators. So when you're a brand new nurse on the unit, you have questions, you have concerns, and you're looking to your colleague for help. It's like, listen, I got my own uh, assignment. You better look it up. Well, now they've got resources. And the nurses told us, we want to feel comfortable and feel safe. And yeah. we want someone we can go to. So we have people hired into the role to be that resource on the off hours when their manager and their advanced practice leader is away. So those are, I'm really proud of having supports in for the new staff, having all the new staff in, but to be recognized as that nurse leader that can go out and speak to the future nurse leaders that are coming up. Wow. I, I don't know about you guys, but all three of you are amazing. Here's the thing. What I really love with the onset there is, you know, all day long, I'm talking to people in HR, right? And I mean, you guys probably already know that. 
Um, but the truth of the matter is, is like when I encounter people that have a retention and turnover problem, and we're talking and quantifying what this is really costing them more than they realize, well, I said to them, like, why are people leaving? You know, automatically you hear, oh, more money. Okay. And I say, well, how do you know that? Did you ask them? No. And I'm like, well, how would you know? Right? Well, they've already gone. And so, you know, what I love what you said, Dion, is the fact that you're building and through everyone else there, and as a leader, not only, you know, a person of color coming in and doing this, but you are highly emotional intelligent, which I love. And you are saying, okay, we really need to make people feel appreciated, heard, respected, and that they're going to thrive in an environment. So that we realize, you know, the old adage of people leave a bad company, right, versus a bad boss. We all know it's really the bad boss a lot of the times. If someone can absolutely create a terrible, toxic environment. Who wants to work in that, right? So good on you, Dion. That's really, really awesome. I, you know, and, and 400 nurses, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Like, very good. So last year when we did uh, like a nurses roundtable, one of the big topics was burnout and the eventual, you know, return to the profession and how, you know, the nurses were hoping that they would see some people coming back over 2022 and 2023. So in your opinion, what do you think healthcare organizations need to do to win back the trust of their nurses? And what do you think they can do to lure or attract people to come back into the profession? And we'll start with Dion. So one of the things, again, I'm a nurse leader and an executive in the organization. I am a vice president of operations. So I look after different programs. The biggest thing we can do is be flexible, be nimble, be adaptive. And I've gone out there, I sit on a recruitment and retention committee and it's like, if nurses need to work night shifts because of childcare or whatever issues, we need shifts that are for nights. And I'll be told, oh, but the managers need to see them on days so they can check their performance. And it's like, managers can come in on nights and see the staff <laughs> and see performance. Um, we need weekend shifts. If somebody yeah. can, they have other commitments and they need, they can work for us Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 12 hour in the owner collective agreement. Those provisions are there. We need to be flexible because if we're not giving all night shifts or weekend shifts, there's a hospital down the road that is, and people will exit us. They will leave. So you have to be nimble that way. The other thing is you've got to listen to the front line. The front line, they're the ones that know what's going on. They're the ones with the best and bright and most innovative ideas. And if you go and ask them, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts? And then we don't listen. It, it's like, forget it. You're not listening to me. I'll go somewhere else. I'll take a chance somewhere else where I'll be listened to. There's a lot organizations can do, but most hospitals, when you're sick and inside, you are there for 24-7 nursing care. 24-7. The person that's there 24-7, it's not all the other allied health. Yes, there might be a duty doctor on, but it's 24-7 nursing care that you're there for. So you need to listen to the nurses. When they tell you what's wrong, what needs fixing, you need to listen. So organization that wants to attract and keep and retain their nurses, listen a lot more and then do what they say because it's important and they need to see you do that. So you build trust, you need the credibility and it won't happen overnight. 
it won't happen after you've listened to a few things. You have to continually go back and demonstrate, yes, I'm listening. And then when you mess up or screw up, you say, you know what? I messed up. Uh, this happened. It shouldn't have happened. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I'm going to do differently. You got to be humble and say, I don't know everything. I remember at South Lake during the middle of the pandemic, we had a WTF moment because it's like we didn't know what was going on, but it was okay to say, we don't know. And one of the things I just share the last thing, when I go into organizations, I said, listen, everyone in this organization, there are no problems, no concerns, no issues whatsoever. Only opportunities where we can improve, change the language opportunities for improvement. You're going to see them. You're going to hear about them. We need to know because we are not perfect. We're expecting you to bring those opportunities forward, bring it to your manager so we can learn and grow. That's the only way we're going to get better. No organization is perfect. So you'll go to another place. You're going to find opportunities. And so help us out by sharing them with us. Can you imagine if every kind of business had leaders who talk like this, how much things would be different? I'm serious, right? I'll tell you, when we started this business, I remember saying to Joe at one point, I can promise you, I have seen my share of bad managers, bad bosses, bad, and, and some good leaders. I, I'm a positive-minded person. But I said, I will tell you this, I'll always make sure that I'm making people feel like you are part of something special. You matter to us. We want to hear what you have to say, not yes, sir, no, sir, crap. Feel engaged be it, and tell me I'm full of crap. I'm OK. I can handle it. Like, just, just be straight up, because guess what? Unless we're willing to listen, nothing's going to change, right? So, you know, Dion, I congratulate you for having this kind of mindset. It's amazing. It's long overdue. And more people need to adapt or to adopt the way you think. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's not about everyone's convenience. You're saying, listen, that nurse is on the front line. That's the one at the end of the day that you need to do whatever you can to create an environment and everything the way they feel like, yeah, because that's the last person you want to lose, right? And we already know how precious nurses are anyway. So, yeah, I'm going to shut up. I thought that was great, Dion. And I'm sure the other uh, amazing women can add to that for sure. So, Jane, we'll head on over to you. Okay, I echo everything that Dion has said, and um, she couldn't have articulated any better. Um, during COVID, I was gone for six months. Um, I was at the forefront of the battlefield, even within my leadership role that I had. I was there, boots on ground, um, side by side with my PSW, my housekeepers, my nurses, and we were doing it all. With that being said, to answer the question, I, I realized that there's been a mass exodus after COVID. And one of the things I believe is, you know, bring nurses to the table, start bringing your frontline to the table and let's have an honest conversation where the leaders are actually practicing active listening, but more importantly, deep listening. So I don't like what the key element here is, have you heard us? I know you, I know the leaders are listening, but the question is, 
have they heard the nurses? Because I really believe that if they have heard the nurses, then they will start implementing change. And we're not looking for major drastic change. Change start by small increments. And, you know, one of the change is for the leaders now, Dion is an exemplary leader and she's the exception to the rule, but for most organization, you want leaders to show empathy. You want leaders to show emotional intelligence. You want leaders to show authenticity, transparency, right? These are all things that nurses are looking for. And, you know, let's change the working condition right? It's important for, for the leaders. They're the um, driving force behind policy making and decision makers and what's not. But they need to come down to the frontline level. They need yeah. to take one day where, you know, don't come in your fancy suit. Wear a scrub. Put some sneakers on and just follow me. Just shadow me. And let me show you what my day-to-day -day operation is. And maybe they'll have a better in-depth understanding. You know, money is one thing, but another thing is recognition, empowerment, and feeling heard. You can't entice nurses by, you know, saying you guys have done a good job, here's pizza, or here's a Tim right. card. All of those elements have been played out. We are at the level where, and I, and I speak, um, from both sides, being in leadership and also having been at the forefront and being at the battlefield, we're at the level where we don't want that. We want a seat at the table and we want to put our condition forward and we want to invite the leaders to come down to the frontline level. Because at the end of the day, for any organization, the building block and the foundation of that organization is their frontline staff. Without the frontline staff, there is no organization. Senior leadership will not be there because they're the one that's really doing the work. So it's important to really listen to the nurses and hearing them to what they have to say and revisiting their working condition. Another thing that I would say that was really, really important that some organization um, failed to do is what happened to the emotional support and the mental health aspect we all know how devastating COVID was. For those that were not working frontline, they have an idea of it and they have an image or they hear from their peers or they hear from their colleagues. Being somebody that physically worked around the clock, sometimes I remember one time I literally considered putting a leg bag on because I did not have the opportunity to go to the bathroom and it, it was just that bad. Our number one goal was better patient outcome, providing care to these patients. But it took a toll on us. And nobody stopped to check in to say, how are you guys doing? But really, how are you guys doing? Because it's one thing working, but after you finish working, there's a whole process that continues on when you have to go home. Some people, some staff were not even staying home. They were staying in hotels because they didn't want to bring that over um, to their families. I had to live in my basement and be um, excluded from my family. I have a child that's immunocompromised, right? So I didn't want to bring that um, to my child. And it was hard for me to be in my basement and not have that physical contact with my family and my kids. And I remember my daughter would cry and my, my son would cry because they wanted to hug mommy. They wanted to be with mommy. But 
mummy could not be with them, right? So these are all of other elements and aspects that I feel that sometimes leaders and organization fail to realize. It's not enough to send us thank you cards. I know of one organization that what they did is they brought on a psychologist just for the staff to say, guys, I know it's been hard. It's been a hard couple of months, hard couple of years. Let's just talk what is going on and how can we support you? So I would say, you know, you want to retain nurses. You want to bring nurses back um, into the workforce. Well, nurses will come back naturally because we're caring people and we came into this profession because we wanted to help and we wanted to make a meaningful um, contribution. But the only way we could do that is by being the best versions of ourselves. So we as nurses, we have the, the responsibility to take care of ourselves, but our employer also have that responsibility to accompany us and do what they need to do to support us in taking care of ourselves in order for us to be the best version of ourselves and impregnate our skills, our knowledge, and our passion and our dedication um, back into the organization to render better patient outcome. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of the famous quote from Richard Branson when he said, no, you don't look after your clients first. You look after your staff first. And he said, because when they look after the staff, they will do everything like unimaginable because they feel appreciated. And I mean, I'm loving this, ladies. You guys are amazing. Sarah? I think you guys brought up so many great points. And I think the only other things I can add is I do talk to a lot of nurses and all stages of their career. And there are probably three things that are really um, impacting them right now. So I think first is lack of flexibility and scheduling. As Dion said, we need to work with staff because we have lives outside of work. And when we feel like we have no control over our schedules, that's a huge issue. Um, the second thing is bullying. Um, so either from peers or from management, um, there's a lot of bullying that goes on that doesn't get talked about and doesn't get addressed. And staff don't have the tools or the resources to address this. And sometimes they feel like the solution is just to leave. Um, and we lose a lot of great nurses that way. Um, the other thing is, like you said, James, bad managers. So what do we do about it, right? I think we all like to think that our organizations have great managers, but we know that's not the case, unfortunately. So maybe some um, sensitivity training or really just being able to call out managers who aren't um, supporting their staff properly. I think that's really important. And I wish that we could follow in the footsteps of California and BC and actually enforce safe patient ratios. I think that is what a lot of frontline workers are looking for. Just that reassurance that they will be able to provide safe care, be able to provide the high quality care that we were all trained to do. And it is morally distressing when um, healthcare providers feel that they aren't able to do so. So I think just one last thing is just what I call feedback fatigue. So a lot of times, even when I was in leadership, we would ask staff, what do you want to change? How can we make things better? But we weren't able to actually either make the change or we weren't able to get back to them about what changes were made. So they feel like, you know, I'm sharing all this feedback about things that need to be improved and I'm not either seeing it or I'm not getting any updates as to where my feedback has gone. And it just, it doesn't feel like, you know, there's any reward for for offering these suggestions. Yeah, mm -hmm. really, really good points. Uh, fantastic, ladies. I, I can tell you right now, um, 
you know, with with caring support, when we're talking to all these different organizations, and many times these kind of subjects come up. And I, I know I was talking to a big hospital, and and um, they were like, well, you know. And I said, guys, you know what? Can I just be straight up with you? And they said, yeah, because like we know each other really well. And I said, you have here. When I look at most people's websites, home care, long term care, I don't care. Like no disrespect, but it looks like business as usual, doesn't it? Yeah, but is it? And I said, the other side over here has got all these nurses, PSWs, whatever, all burned out, whatever. And I said, you know, it would be great. And they said, what? If you owned it. And they're like, huh? Like I said, nobody, I get there's this fear of vulnerability, but nobody in this country for one second thinks our healthcare system's perfect. Nobody. So how about just say, you know, something like, I'm like the way Dion thinks. And clearly this messaging is out there. Because here is a stellar leader that's basically advocating and making people feel like I want to work there because this is what I hear. And then the word of mouth is big, too. Right. I'm sure Dion is seeing that big time that other nurses are going, yeah, you want to work with uh, Dion, the rock star and everybody else here because this place is awesome. Like we, this is how we feel working here. We feel really appreciated. So I love everything you guys said there. So. Callie, please. Now we're going to take a look at the hopes and dreams for the future. So what are your hopes for the nursing profession for the next year or next year or two? We'll start with uh, Mildred this time. Well, my hopes is that we can bring back our, our nurses and that um, we close the gap that's happening with this mass exodus, right? I think all the system partners need to sit at the table put their thoughts together and turn their decisions into action because we all know how important nursing is. And really at the end of the day, um, the population is relying on us. The patients are relying on us. The doctors are relying on us. The healthcare system is relying on us. So I really hope that we could come to some form of decision and conclusion um, sooner rather than um, later because it's needed. And it is good that we're bringing on board all of these internationally educated nurses, but we still have to address the problem that's affecting us here at home. So that would be my hopes and dreams. Um, excellent, excellent, yeah. Sarah, what do you think? I think really um, nurses need to have, they need to be given more of a voice. So it's been so common that there's a lot of fear in silencing and nursing, fear of speaking up. I think it's really needed because nurses, um, they don't feel comfortable speaking up and sometimes they do speak up and it doesn't go well. So we need to make sure that nurses feel safe to speak up. We need to give them the space and the opportunity to speak up. I also think without getting too political, I think that the government needs to put more resources and more funding into um, recruiting and retaining healthcare workers. Um, I just think that there's been a lot of talk and not enough action. So I would like to see more action. I think what we can all do is reach out to your local politicians and see where they stand in healthcare and educate yourself. When it comes to the next election, make sure you vote for whoever does support healthcare workers and let them know what the issues are. Yeah, very well said. Dion? All right, thank you. For me, it's empowering nurses 
to also exactly what Sarah said, they have a voice, they can step up because you're actually not there for all the tasks. There's a whole list of tasks. You're doing vitals, you're giving meds, you're documenting, documenting, and then some more documentation. But really you're there because you've gone through school, you've got the knowledge, skill, and judgment for your critical thinking. We need you for the times where there's something happening and there's no policy. We need your clinical judgment. A nurse looks at a patient um, in more than one dimension. They see them holistically. A nurse can walk in a room and look and see somebody. It's like, okay, this person's deteriorating. How do you know that? Well, you don't know. Nurses have their own epistemology where it's like, we know how we know what we know. It's hard to explain to you. So we need to empower nurses to say, no, I'm here because of my clinical judgment and my critical thinking skills. Yeah, I can do vitals with my eyes closed, but you need me here to catch that deteriorating patient. In mental health, you need me here to make sure we don't have uh, successful inpatient suicides or make sure the patients, when they need someone to talk to, they know there's a trusted person there at 3 a.m. they can reach out and talk to and somebody who will listen and understand and say, you know what, we need to get you the whatever resource or service or programming you may need to overcome that. So we are trusted as nurses. We need the, everyone else to un, know and understand that, but we need nurses to know and understand that. There is this thing called imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. I want everyone to take that and just throw it out the window because for nurses and organizations, a lot of it is imposter treatment. Do you really belong here? Do you really know what you're doing? Are you really qualified? Well, if you just showed up, guess what? You're a novice nurse and your abilities as a novice is what I expect. Are you going to make mistakes? You better. Do not come here and say, well, I know everything. I'm perfect. I don't make mistakes. When you're graduating to an expert nurse, there's also certain things I'm expecting from you as an expert nurse, but guess what? You are qualified. You are experienced. You took the hardest undergraduate program in any university in this country is that BSCN program. So do not feel like an imposter. You are a novice and we need to treat you like a novice, but you're graduating to an expert and those expert nurses have the knowledge, skill and judgment every hospital, every hospital should treasure. The other thing we need to do is nurse leaders, they need leadership development. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't yank somebody from the front line. Oh, you've been here five years. You're good enough to be a manager. Good luck. Um, no, there has to be development. There has to be mentorship. There has to be coaching and there has to be sponsorship. And sponsorship is when I can speak Mildred's name in rooms where opportunity has been discussed. If the premier says, I need someone to sit on a provincial task force looking at seniors care and nursing retention, it's like, you know what? I know this nurse named Mildred and I believe she's the best candidate for the position. <laughs> so for the future, I want nurses to feel that empowerment own your space like Sarah has been doing with her pretty nurse podcast and really say no I'm here because of the knowledge I have the knowledge I received in school but also the experience and knowledge I'm gaining through that experience don't expect a brand new grad showing up to know oh that nurse didn't know everything it's like well I didn't expect her to I right. actually expect you to make some mistakes and I tell that to staff because if you say, well, I'm here 10 years and I've never made a mistake, you're the person I'm most afraid of. You're lying because <laughs> the environment is too chaotic. The environment, like 
we've seen how messy things get. You get distracted. Mistakes will happen, but what did we learn? What are you going to do differently? We need a just culture, no bullying, but we also need an anti-Black, anti-Indigenous culture also in organizations. And I only say Black and Indigenous because we are the two most marginalized groups. And until you feel safe, psychologically safe to show up to work, you're not going to have people coming back. So hope for the future is the empowerment. We're going to give nurses to say, no, reclaim your space, reclaim your authority as the expert, the content matter expert when it comes to quality patient care. And you're the one that's there Christmas morning. Who else is there Thanksgiving? Who is there any yeah. holiday when you want to be home with your children, but you're still there taking care? Yeah. For a lot of people who have a lot of things to say about, well, I wouldn't have done that. It's like, really? Where were you? You should show up next Christmas and let's chat. So anyway, I digress. I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, that was great. All answers were great. I know that, you know, when you, when you were talking about imposter syndrome, Sarah here has done many posts on imposter syndrome because I, I watch a lot of content Sarah puts out because I think it's awesome. And I think it's very inspiring for people. And uh, what I love about you ladies is you're okay with vulnerability. I, I I also, when it comes to the race thing, I mean, hey, I know I'm white, but you know what kills me is I was saying to a group of friends one day and then one, buddy, one of my best friends from Brazil, another one, uh, he's black. He came originally from Nigeria, great guy. I love to help immigrants in our community. But I, I say to people, I just don't understand why this is such a problem. Like covid affected everyone it didn't matter your ethnicity didn't matter your background didn't matter if you had money or not didn't matter it didn't matter so why are we even talking about it and be, and obviously you you are because it's still a problem yes and that is such a shame yeah I, and it i is. just need to jump in there because i do know sarah yeah. if you talk about imposter syndrome i'm i'm saying that it's not really a syndrome especially for racialized yeah. nurses or nurses in general it's a treatment how are you getting treated by others? It's imposter treatment. They're projecting yeah. their insecurities on you. You're not mm -hmm. supposed to know everything if you're a novice. You are supposed to have knowledge if you are a senior nurse. And so don't treat me as if I don't know anything. I've actually gone to school and I've got experience and I know my patients. I've talked to them. I've spent 24 seven with them. Whereas you come in from nine to five. You yeah. don't show up on weekends. I'm still Excellent. here. And so imposter treatment is something that people should understand. That's how you're, you're, you're being made to feel that way. But really, that's not you. Don't own it. Throw it back to someone else. Mm -hmm. When it comes to racism, James, I have to tell you, this is part of my PhD work. I, it, it's a system. It, it's embedded. It's yeah. colonial system. It is uh, white supremacy baked in. It's hard to see. But a big thing is credentialism. Like for this position I'm in, I need a PhD. And so yeah. I'm in school getting my PhD, no worries. But when you say in organization, oh, you need a master's to be a manager. Guess what? There's a lot of nurses out there who can't afford to go back to get their master's. They're single mom, three kids, no child support. They could do it, but they got other priorities. So they'll mm -hmm. never be a manager. Yeah. They're mostly the racialized population. And when you looked at COVID, you saw who did not get the vaccine in time, or you saw who didn't get, uh, there were the essential workers in grocery stores getting sick and dying. And you wondered, oh, nobody in High Park 
<laughs> was suffering from that and they got their vaccine very early, but they're not going to the grocery store serving people. So there's a lot baked into the system. That's why they call it systemic racism. It's hard to see, but boy, uh, people like me were tired of feeling it. Um, I, I see it and feel it daily, actually. Yeah. Had an occurrence today, but yeah. I'm getting over it. Wow. I'm going to interject on that. And to add to the systemic racism, one area that we need to sensitize and, you know, encourage organization uh, to do training on is unconscious biases. The unconscious biases, I think that is the worst. Um, when, when you're there and certain people say certain stuff, whether they believe it or not, or whether they don't believe it, there's certain things that shouldn't be said, or that why are you saying it to me and you're not saying it to my white colleague, right? right, right. And then we also have to add in, in our education, tokenism, right? With COVID happening and with you know George Floyd happening, a lot of people started going into this whole DEI movement. And in some um, organization, you will have, you know, a DEI department and you will see a person of color there, but it's tokenism because they've put that person there to say, yeah, this is DEI, we've got somebody, but does that person really have the power instilled in that position to make the changes necessary to propel and to move the organization forward? And unfortunately, James, the answer is no. Yeah. So all of I that, that is, yeah. Yeah, I've actually seen that in a couple of places. I actually called somebody out one day on it, um, just purely because, uh, you know, it, it, I, I'm not a fan of, of a lot of things, no matter what it is, where virtue signaling happens. Drives me nuts. I'm just saying, you know what? Doing these kinds of things doesn't mean you wear a ribbon. It doesn't mean that you raised your hand and said, oh, yeah, I'm all behind this. No, it involves action, action. Mm -hmm. So when I use something, I'll, I'll say this is somewhat comparable. Anytime I ever get in an Uber, it's not too often. Nine times out of ten, it's an it's a um, immigrant driving. Mm -hmm. So I get talking to them, and I forewarn them, just so you know, I'm different. <laughs> they start laughing. They go, and I said, I want to know your story, and so I tell them mine. And then you know, I find out that oh my God, listen, I can really help you. I'd like to introduce you to tons of people. I don't care where they came from. Couldn't care less. Like you're a person, you have feelings. You you know, you need help. You're new in a community. What can I do? Right. So, like, I, I, you know, focusing on the stuff, but Dion's right. This is this is something that's been hard baked in for for a lot of people for a long time. And I, I think it's really, really a shame. It just hinders so much progress that we could happen, you know, make happen. So anyway, enough said. But. So we're going to morph into talking about something that some people would call trendy right now and we probably all have a nurse in our life or know a nurse in our life that has picked up or has developed a side hustle a side business something that they're passionate about whether it's scrubs or um, study aids or any number of other things it's become you know, normal when you're scrolling TikTok or you're scrolling Instagram to see to see these little small brands popping up all over the place and which I think is pretty cool and I know that nurses are incredibly busy, so I don't even know how they do it. But so what do you guys think about this current trend uh, in the rise of nurses having these side hustles? And maybe do, 
Do any of you have any, which we've kind of touched on a couple here? And what do you think would be something that people should consider if they are thinking about getting into having a side hustle business if they already are a full-time nurse and passionate about nursing as well? And we'll start with Sarah. Yeah, I think that um, it's something that never occurred to me when I graduated nursing. So I was taught, you know, you graduate nursing, go get a job in a hospital, work until you retire, and that's your path. Um, so it took me a while to realize that this is something I could do or even something I wanted to do. And I want to encourage people listening to think big. So it doesn't have to be a side hustle. It could be your main business. Uh, maybe it starts out as a side hustle, but if you're able to grow it and you're able to you know, make an income off of it. This could be your main source of income. And what I've seen over the past few years, and especially during pandemic, is the growth of online-based businesses. So selling digital products, uh, coaching businesses, um, even doing what I do, which is basically over Zoom and, you know, sending people documents. I think that is, it sounds like not a lot, but it really is helping people change their lives. And I really think of nurses as my patients now. Um, so I think that it's just something that's really evolving. And one thing that I see a lot in nurses is the lack of confidence to do something different, right? And I think this goes back to imposter treatment or imposter syndrome, where we don't see anyone doing what we're doing, particularly nurses of color. And we think that, well, I don't know if I belong in this space, but you absolutely do. There is a place for everyone. There is a niche for everyone. You just need to start doing it, essentially. Um, Learning through trial and error is a big part of that process. It's not going to be perfect. And I even put a post out yesterday or today where I said, has anyone ever gotten an IV in on their first try? If the answer is no, it's because you needed to learn through trial and error. You needed to make mistakes in order to develop that skill. And that's the same with being in business. Um, and I think that it's something that we just feel conditioned to as nurses, as women, as people of color that we can't do it because this is a world for somebody else, but you absolutely can do it. And I want people listening to know that. Um, and so I guess just getting back to your question, it is a lot of online stuff, but there are lots of nurses, especially, um, I think she's come onto this podcast as well, Barbara, who owns um, Your Nursing Educator, um, selling things like nursing reference cards or um, lanyards. Like these are all things that we need every day and things that actually help us do our jobs better. Absolutely. Mildred, what do you think? I think it's a wonderful idea. And I think um, we need to support the entrepreneurship and we need to support any nurse out there that wants to um, go into it. Um, just like um, Sarah said, it might, have, it might start as a side hustle and turn into uh, your main source of income. The beauty about nursing and the beauty about nurses is that, you know, we have hidden gems, we have hidden skills, and us nurses, we see things through different dimensions, and we see things and we approach things from a holistic um, um, mm -hmm. way of doing things. You might have a nurse that maybe is working in critical care, but she has a different set of skills in a different department, different areas. And for us nurses, we are forward thinkers and we are result driven. And I think any nurse that um, embarks into an entrepreneur role or um, into some kind of business comes from the place of quality improvement. 
us nurses, when we're working on the floor, everything we do, you know, we put the care inside, but most importantly, we're doing it because we want to improve. And when we see that something is not working, then we want to fix it, right? There's lots of nurses just right here. You've got Dion that um, is doing stuff in leadership and in academia and helping propel black nurses, um, break that glass ceiling and you know getting into the C-suite. You've got Sarah that's helping nurses rebuild their confidence, you know, coaching, mentoring, doing their CV for them to be ready and fit, you know, with their armor guard on to target um, the workforce. So you've got the other person, Barbara, that's doing lanyard, regardless of what the side hustle is whether it's in academia, whether it's in coaching, whether it's in consulting, I think it's um, great. And I think, you know, it's almost like it's funneling up and it's contributing meaningfully to the overall systemic um, problem that we have in healthcare because every nurse, irrespective of their line of business or whatever product that they're selling, whether it's e-commerce, it's a brick and mortar type of services, or it's a consultant or mentoring and coaching, I think it impacts everybody. Um, it impacts the nurse that's doing that business. It impacts the nurse, like their target audience. And it also impacts the organization and the overall, which is the healthcare system. So I believe that if you know any nurse out there, support their business, right? Support their business because that's the only way we will help reform um, the issues that we have in our healthcare. That's the only way we're going to help each other. And you know, each one in our own specialty, we are helping one another. And if we're not helping one another, we are helping those behind us. We are paving the way forward for those behind us to walk through what, what we've walked through and actually to avoid the difficulty and the challenges that we've walked through. So I would encourage everybody that's out there that knows of a nurse that has an entrepreneurial um, business or any form of business to encourage it. Um, whether they could use those services, go out there and get the service from your fellow nurse. If it's services that is not necessarily um, meant for you, spread the word, sing like a canary, spread the word, spread it in your network, share it because everybody could benefit from services from a nurse, believe me. Yeah, really well said, thank you. Uh, Dion. Okay, so it's really funny. I, I am an entrepreneur. I am a business owner. I start, I lead with that because I do not believe that there is such a thing as job security. As a nurse, depending on the government of the day, I was around when the Mike Harris government came to town and was laid off with a group of my colleagues. I've worked in an organization where the VP didn't like me, came in and said, you're really not a good fit for my team. Fired me on the spot. So no matter where I'm working, even in this position, I do not sit here thinking, oh, I'm comfortable, this job is secure. I always have a plan B. So any nurse out there listening to me is, what is your plan B? What happens if you lose your ability to earn income? And I'm not even saying lose your job. What if you got sick and you didn't die? So one of my business, as a business owner, I'm in financial services. I've got my license um, as an insurance agent. Now, with my busy schedule and my PhD, I'm not doing it and writing up policies, but I have a team of other business owners that work with me. If I refer someone to them and somebody does do business, I get 50%. 
for a conflict of interest, I've signed a sister agreement. I don't talk to anybody at CAMH that I work with, but I do have a lot of friends in other areas. And I tell nurses, listen, you need to be financially literate. So I am very passionate about nurses understand how money works and how they can save and grow their money. The other thing that I had to do when I came as a business owner is learn myself how money works. There's a lot of nurses out there without a will. There's a lot of nurses who are separated. They've never divorced. And they think that, oh, when something, if they pass, everything goes right to their kids. It's like, no, your ex-husband that you didn't divorce, everything goes there. Your pension goes there. Your kids may not see a dime. You have to have a will, have a power of attorney, one for healthcare, one for finances. And so what I do the last Wednesday of every month at 8 p.m., there is a masterclass on financial literacy. We talked about how to save and do a budget yesterday. The next time we're talking about cash flow quadrant and how you need to be a business owner and you need your money making money for you while you are sleeping. Because mm -hmm. if it is a job that involves lotion, potions, lipsticks, or candles, you got to be there. How do you take a vacation? If you take a vacation, your money takes a vacation. Mm -hmm. And so you need uh, something that it'll come in whether you're there or not. And that's something I set up for myself. It is virtual. You're right across Canada. And so if anybody are interested in learning more about it, they can hit me up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. But it is financial services is one of the businesses you can get into where you can make a million dollars and you can do it again while you're sleeping because everyone if you have a car you probably have car insurance you probably don't know who's getting the commission every year that you renew that insurance do you and so it was one of the essential services banks did not close during covid everything else shut down but it's an essential service the government made sure of that there's a lot of nurses. The other thing is I tell them you need to be a business owner when it comes to taxes, because I know nurses, they work overtime. They work a lot of overtime. And what happened? They went into a higher tax bracket. And what mm -hmm. did the government do saying, hey, you owe us some more money because you're now at a 53.3% bracket. And so what did they do? They work more overtime to try and pay off the taxes. They're away from their families. They're working a 12-hour shift. They are tired. It's like 16 days in a row, which is ridiculous and dangerous. So go get yourself a business because the Canadian tax code favors business owners. You know yourself, James, you're a business owner. The Canadian tax code gives you tax breaks, tax benefits that you can bring your tax bracket down where you pay less. As a VP, it has helped me because I would be paying a lot more taxes than I do, but I'm a business owner and I've got tax breaks. I'm also a landlord. So Richard Branson said seven forms of income. You can't have just one. So you need a plan B. You need to get your financial house in order. You need to be a business owner so you can capitalize on all the tax breaks because the rich does not pay taxes. T4 employees pay taxes. If your side hustle involves a T4, if it's another job somewhere, you're just putting yourself in another tax bracket. So the government's going to come get more of your hard earned dollars. Why not stay home and have your money work for you? I truly believe in side hustles. I've got a few. I'm a public speaker. I'm a landlord. I'm also a business owner in financial services. I'm a licensed insurance agent. And I have colleagues who write for me. I get half. 50% is not bad. All right. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. So what's next beyond being an astronaut, maybe? Uh, 
No, actually, I am on the Jamaican Olympic curling team. What? Jamaica has a bobsled team. If you look up Curling Jamaica, I yeah. lived in Thunder Bay. I worked for the Northwest Lynn. I learned to curl. They started an Olympic curling team. We're going to the 2026 Olympics in Milan, Italy. And I'm on the female curling team. I'm on the seniors curling team. A couple of weeks ago, Mexico beat us. Uh, we had a bonds field, but I am actually an Olympic curler for Jamaica. We've wow. got bobsled and now we've got curlers. So wow. yeah, that's what's next. Yeah, we, uh, so Annika, who's one of the owners in the company, she's actually in Toronto and she's director of like of all the marketing in that. So uh, Annika is amazing, but she is an avid cur curler and she really loves we it. We need to talk. She yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll talk. introduce you. So anyway, that's that's great stuff, ladies. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of nurses, no matter where they are in their stage, they need to hear this. They need to hear, uh, you know, your stories, your wisdom. That, you know, what you said at the end there, Dion, like that just makes total sense. Mildred, you absolutely, everything you were saying is so bang on about why it's important to have these side hustles and why it's important that other people support what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, Sarah, it's great what you're talking about all the time. I, I love all of the content you ladies are are uh, are sharing with us. So go ahead, Dion. I just had one more thing to say. Because it's Nurses Week, I want to talk to all the nurses. You need to take care of yourself. Yeah. You are yes. going to be replaced in a heartbeat if anything happens to you. So take the vacation, yes. take time to meditate, exercise, whatever you need to do. Get a circle of sisters or brothers, whomever around you to support you. Go do something fun, something you love. Your work should not be everything. It is okay to take time off, decompress. You've got to self-care. I wake up at 5.30 and I teach a, a, a fitness class, but it's something I love. I'm very passionate about fitness. If anybody looks up Dion Sinclair Fitness Model, you're going to see me. I'm a pro fitness and figure competitor. So you need to take care of yourself. Your health is all you got. And yeah. if you lose it, it doesn't matter what else you have. Your health is mm -hmm. the wealth you have. So please, please, please take yeah, care of well yourself. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Callie, what, what, do we have any more questions? No, actually, we have come to the end of this amazing conversation that we've had this evening. So unless there is something that we've missed or something that you ladies would like to uh, discuss, uh, then I think we are ready to say our goodbyes, unfortunately. I would love to talk all night. I could talk to all three of you all night. You're so inspirational. So I'm really happy that I've been able to be a part of this. So thank you so much to all three of you amazing nurses. Thank you. Uh, this has been, I'm not a nurse, but this, to me, I'm like, wow, okay, I, I would really want you three to be my like mentors, uh, helping me, inspiring me. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, you guys are not only very smart, you don't only have just a tremendous amount of wisdom, but you're very inspiring. And you're doing things all the time and you're very active and you're very engaged and and you really understand how nurses feel and what needs to happen. And, you know, you cannot say enough about how amazing that is. So I want to thank you so much. Any final words from anybody before we close this out? 
No, I wanted to say just thank you for the opportunity. It's great to meet you, Mildred. It's great to meet you, Sarah. You guys can stay in touch on LinkedIn or any of the social media. Dion Sinclair, just look me up, not an issue. Send me a private message, not an issue. I'd love to stay in touch. Awesome. That's Thanks awesome, for having yeah. me on. It's been great conversation and I hope that everyone has a wonderful nurses week and remember the oxygen mask protocol. You got to put your mask on first before you can help anyone else. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Happy nurses week to all my fellow nurses out there. And again, take the time self care and your mental wealth and awareness is very important. Thank you. Thanks again very much from caring support. Take care, ladies.